Hey Rodney, did you know Slack's been a part of the Ready for as long as I have? You mean like back in the Bryant Park days? You know it. Even when there were only a couple of us working out of a cafe in Midtown, Slack is where we came together to tackle the future of work. Over eight years later, we're fully decentralized across eight time zones, and we still do it all with Slack. That's right, because it's the AI-powered platform for growing your business, keeping your teams connected, and making work legitimately simpler. Now you can get up to speed on a new project with one-click summaries or find exactly what you need, when you need it, with an AI-supercharged search function. It makes your day-to-day easier and gives you the freedom to focus on what really matters, your future. Grow your business without the grind in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. There was a lot of very like muscly, like you can just like put it in the chat and just be like, yes. you're out of line. And I was like, yep. that is not going to go well when somebody actually does it. So like you're making an invitation that you can't actually like follow through on, you know, your, your mouth is writing a check that your heart cannot cash. <laughs> so like, let's not. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the show. This is Brave New Work, a podcast about reinventing our organizations and the search for a more adaptive and human way of working. I'm Rodney Evans, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Aaron Dignan. Hallelujah. (laughs) On today's episode, we're going to talk about user manuals to me. I feel like we made this episode like in year one. We did. And then did we just never release it? It's cutting room floor. Oh, my God. All right. Well, it was probably bad anyway, so this one will be good. Uh, so let's do a check-in round and then we'll dig right into our manuals. Yeah. In a way, a check-in round is like a never-ending user manual it to me. It really Because you're getting all the flavors. So we've been doing this for years and y'all probably know us better than we know ourselves. But today, in the spirit of a user manual, I was thinking the question would be, what's the warning on the back of your box? Like if I picked <laughs> up your action figure or your you know, product at the store and turned uh-huh. it over, what would be that little caution box that's like, warning, <laughs> known to the state of California? Uh-huh. Yeah. So you um, go first and then I'll go second. Yeah. It's funny because it's changed over time. Uh-huh. I feel like there was a time where it would have been like, you know, may bite. But <laughs> now, I think the warning now is much more like, may disappear when tired. Right. Like, I've just become much more of someone who needs to text my friends and be like, yeah, I'm not socializing yes. this week or maybe for a while. <laughs> um, I don't know. I've become so much more, like, happy to be home and wanting to be alone that I think sometimes it takes, not, I don't want to say takes people by surprise, but it's just not how I was for so, so, so many years. Yeah. Where like, I used to always pick up the phone and always want to talk to people and I just don't anymore in the same, right. in the same way. I mean, until you know I do and then I'm like, I'm lonely. For self-preservation. Hang out with me. So I think now it's like, I think sometimes it is occasionally confusing to mm-hmm. people very close to me that I want the amount of solitude that I do. That's cool. So that's like V2 of your product. Yeah, yeah, um, I went from biting to disappearing. I'm sure you could think of ten that would go on the back of my box, but the one Never. that you that you probably would not think of is like you may you may accidentally seek this toy's approval, but you don't need it. Because mm. I have a lot of people in my life that when we talk heart to heart, they're like, I just don't want like I want you to approve or think I'm good or whatever. And I think it's because as we talked about on the last episode we recorded. I can also be critical and I, mm-hmm. I can also be judgmental in a way that I'm not proud of. 
But this weird echo effect of that is a lot of people are like kind of down if I'm thinking they're dope. And hmm. and that they they like play into that sometimes. So but the box would be like, don't do that. You don't interesting. This, you don't need this toys approval. Oh, I love that. <laughs> I mean, it's a lesson that I learned years ago, but I'm I like that you're telling other people. Yeah, exactly. To remember that. It'll only yeah. hold you back. Yeah. I'm doing Who's this what guy you, know anyway? you should do anyway. Right. Yeah. So that's that's the warning on the back of our boxes, folks. So when you purchase us at the grocery. This is a great question because now I have so many other answers. This is really fun. Everybody should ask this as a check-in question and then tell (laughs) us what happens. Yeah, I I would love to hear that. Yeah. Okay, so today's topic actually is creating a user manual to me. This is a practice that we have used many, many times internally, externally, in the world. So for anybody who doesn't know about it, do you want to just give a little explanation? Yes, yes. I mean, the the short answer of what it is, is it is a written document, usually like a one pager, it can be in Notion or Google Docs or on paper or post-it notes, whatever you want. But usually it's written down and it is a list of answers to basic questions that someone needs to know in order to work with you in order to be effective as a as a collaborator with you in your life. And so this was originated in the workplace. So it was really about like how to work with me. And if you think about the user manual idea, it's like you bought a VCR in the 80s or something and you're like, how does this thing work? And then you read the manual and you know, the same idea here applies. Like if I just started working with you or you just hired me or I just hired you, what can I open up and just like skip four months of being confused and being frustrated or being like, I don't get this person and and get to the bottom of it? And I first tripped upon it in the New York Times. Adam Bryant used to write the corner office column in the New York Times. And in 2013, wrote this interview with a guy named Ivar, who was the lead strategist at Questback. And basically, it was just like, what's your approach to leadership and your leadership style? And the guy was like, oh, I have a one-page user manual so that people understand how to deal with me. And then from there, people started to share different templates of what would those questions be. And it kind of bounced around the internet like a beach ball at a Nickelback concert. And everybody started to play with it. So that's the story at at the high level. I just got the connection to the checking question. Aha. I didn't, I did not, I did not see what you had done there. And now I see what you did there. The prestige. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah. In any case, I'm nice curious, one. when did you first come across it? Was it here or did, had you messed with these or things like these before? I had. And I think that the article that I read first, I think it was an article by Brad Feld of Techstars. Okay, sure, sure, yeah. Who is like a big advocate, but I'm not, I can't be certain that that was the first one, but I remember referring to that one a bunch because it had a really good list of questions in it. Yeah, So same. I'm sorry if it actually was someone else who deserves credit, but it was Brad Feld's article that I used <laughs> a lot. And and yeah, I used it actually in my own consulting practice bef- when I was on my own before the ready, you know, in which I did a lot of executive team coaching and a lot of like CEO coaching. And what I just found was that, you know, sort of to your point, In the check-in round, a lot of times when I would go into an organization and start working with the C-suite or the the E-team or whatever, there was a lot of anxiety about like what the CEO or the founder thought and like what they wanted and what they were excited about and how they were judging other people. And so what I found was that 
by asking the the you know senior most person to to go first in terms yeah. of clarifying what might be understood it really created both a lot of clarity for people who, you know most of whom were like projecting their own shit onto this person who wasn't really thinking too much <laughs> about them but then also just created an opening for a lot of conversation about like what might be misunderstood or being misinterpreted and what kind of stories were getting told that weren't really true i love that the most Amazing story I've heard about these, and I'll actually share some of the questions from like the early article that you're referring to. But my favorite question on the list, and the one that is the source of this story, is what are some things people might misunderstand about you that you mm-hmm. should clarify, right? Like what what are people going to get wrong that you can help them get right? And the story I heard that blew my mind was the story of a leader who decided to do this with their team, and everybody went around and did all their shit. And when it came around to him on that question, he was like, "Oh." I have like a legitimate back problem. Like, I don't know if it was a disease or some issue, but he's like, I have a serious back problem that is like extraordinarily painful. And I don't talk about it at work, but like, it's a real thing. And when I have to sit in a meeting for too long, I have to cross my arms and kind of lean back in order to not be in pain. Mm. And all the people that work for him, and these were like EVPs, were like, shut the (laughs) fuck up. We have been back channeling in presentations for three years thinking that you do that when you don't like an idea. And so they were literally like reading that as disapproval and he's just in pain. Amazing. And it was like, this is why we do this. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. This is why we do it. I think that's that's exactly right. Yeah, Um, that one blew my mind. What's interesting that we don't talk a lot about in terms of the user manual, but I, but I'm going to now is there is the benefit of writing those things down and saying them to people to close information gaps. And also it's a reflective practice that we're usually missing. So I find like when I am asked to write my user manual, it is a good exercise for self-awareness. Right. Because it, because it does provoke questions that I don't tend to ponder about myself. Yes. And so it's like, even if it doesn't get shared with anyone, even if nobody gives a shit about what's in your user manual, even though they probably do, um, <laughs> it's still worth doing just to be like, you know, how do I like feedback? Like what does sort of get my goat or whatever? It's like, it's just a good tool for insight. Yeah. At at worst, it's journaling and reflection, which (laughs) is good to do. And at best, it's actually this like collaborative team building opportunity. Just, I guess, for context for folks, I'll just rattle off a few of the questions that are, are on the kind of original user manual playlist. So it would be like, what are some honest, unfiltered things about you? What drives you nuts? What are your quirks? How can people earn an extra gold star with you? Which I always thought was kind of cringy. I just don't like the idea of a gold star. It makes me feel like a student in elementary school. What do you value in people that work with you? What Again, what I said before about misunderstandings. And then there's a second set of questions that's like more about how you interact with others, which is like, how do you coach people? What's the best way to communicate with you? Which What's the best way to convince you to do something? Which is actually my second favorite question mm-hmm. on the list. And one. then something about like how you like to give and get feedback. Yeah, those are good ones. They're not bad. I've had others like added to the roster and I've seen people take their user manuals in different directions that are actually super duper clever. But I guess when people are just like, how do I get started? I'm like, oh, that's a decent, that's a decent list. It's a good list to start from. Get the ball rolling with. 
So the question that from the ones you just listed that I feel like people get real fired up to answer, but then mm-hmm. are kind of are, is kind of bullshit is the feedback question. Uh-huh. Because fundamentally, I don't think most people's emotional experience of receiving feedback mirrors what they would say in a user manual conversation. And the way I know that is because like 98% of people are like, just give it to me straight. I can, I want to hear it. And like, you know, I don't care if it's like verbal or written (laughs) or in private or public, like you just tell me. And I'm like, that is not how anyone wants feedback. You're all lying to yourselves. And like, I understand the motivation because it feels very brave to just yes. be like, I want the truth, bring it on. But like, that's not really how most people feel when the feedback is critical. Or honestly, I used to teach this like feedback thing, feedback training sort of thing. And it was when I was at MG. And yeah. one of the things that we did as like a practical exercise was asking people to use a format for feedback and give verbal feedback to a partner in, you know, we were doing it in companies. So it's done teams that knew each other and to only do positive. Cause we were like, it's easier to practice. Like if you're going to build the muscle, like let's not, (laughs) let's not try to do varsity shit. Like let's just do positive feedback. And often it was really hard for people. Like it was, it was really hard for people to hear. And, you know, people found that to be like a very emotional experience and for the most part, ultimately a positive experience. But mostly they went into it being like, yeah, we're going to fucking kill this. Like, we're just going to big up each other for, you know, a minute and a half. And and then what we found was like, there are actually like a lot of tears and like a lot of sensitivity and a lot of people being like, I didn't know that you felt that, you know, it was much more emotional than people gave it credit for. So I'm only saying that to say that I do feel like the feedback question in the user manual, people answer in a way that does not really turn out to be true. Well, I think you're a thousand percent right. And actually, you've hit on something I've been meaning to talk about on the show for a while, which is that there's a difference between aspirational agreements and real agreements. Hmm. And what people tend to want to do when they make agreements, whether it be with teammates or about themselves, which is effectively what a user manual is, it's kind of like an agreement about yourself. Yeah. Um, is like they tend to go aspirational. Like, what yeah. what do I want to be like? And what I want to be like is give it to me straight. Right. But what I actually am like is like pretty easily triggered. Right. <laughs> and so, and what so I actually I, am like is someone who really cares what other people think and can yeah. be hurt. And will like immediately go below the line and freak out and flip the table over if you tell me that I suck. Yeah. So, so I think I think that's the trick. And for whatever reason, while aspirational agreements with others there's a little bit of room to like keep clawing forward on that. I actually think with the user manual in particular, it's better to go the other direction and be overly real and overly self-critical and like kind of don't overpromise, actually yeah. underpromise a little bit about how great you are. And then if someone's pleasantly surprised, all the better. Yeah. But not to be like, oh yeah, I'm I'm a Zen master at feedback. It's right. like it's well, like no, you're not. No, one you're is. probably not though. Yeah. <laughs> and so that's just going to make things harder for everyone. But if you're like, actually, you know, I'm not very good at getting feedback, and I would appreciate if you'd give me a warning and like be a little gentle with me. That doesn't sound good to say, but it's a lot more fun to then give feedback and be like, oh, they were actually really pleasant receiving that. Yeah. Like that was not, that was not as hard as I expected. Yeah. Cause you don't want to be in this situation, which I'm sure we've both seen many times of like, I'm doing it the way that you said you wanted me to do it. And, and it's now not, you're super mad about it. Yeah. I feel like that happens in these situations. You know, like I just did this exercise fairly recently with a team and 
you know, there was a lot of very like muscly, like you can just like put it in the chat and just be like, yes. you're out of line. And I was like, yep. that is not going to go well when somebody actually does it. So like you're making an invitation that you can't actually like follow through on, you know, your, your mouth is writing a check that your heart <laughs> cannot cash. So well, and, like, and, let's not. And unreliable authority figures are like developmentally the hardest to deal with. Where you're just like, like when you are told to do something, you do it that way and then you get slapped. Mm-hmm. That is like, the brain does not know what to do with that. Like that's a really hard thing to process. And so I, I do think it's much easier to to play it safe to your point. And I think it actually brings up one more little micro point that I wanted to make about user manuals, which is both historically and presently, there's a little bit of a pattern in more hierarchical cultures of like, these are just for bosses. Mm-hmm. Like the boss writes a user manual so that all their underlings know how to interact with them and not get slapped. And and there's not really a request for the opposite direction. Yeah. And there's not really a willingness to like accommodate the needs of everyone else. And I think when that happens, that's not user manuals as we, or at least I, have historically like been excited about them. That's like using them as a weapon totally. and like just management theater again. And it's much more fun to like get a whole team around the table doing this. And actually, my one of my favorite memories of our work is like I was in Europe. We did user manual with a leadership team at a fashion brand. And we went to this really cool restaurant, got a private room, got a bunch of drinks. Everybody, you know, had kind of sanded the edge. And then we started reading answers one time, one question at a time around the table. And it was amazing, like so funny, so like people just laughing and having big aha moments and just like really enjoying the idiosyncrasies of their colleagues. And that's, to me, that's the magic of it. It's not just like, oh, how to make sure that, you know, Aaron is satisfied. Like who gives a shit? It's much more about like this connection that can be formed. Yeah. It's funny. The most recent one that I did was at the end of like a fairly intense two-day offsite. (laughs) And I feel like that's the way to do it because it's like everybody's like broken down. Mm-hmm. And like everybody's too tired to think to really, exactly of what like the right answer yeah. would be or the most sanity. It's like do it when I do it right like <laughs> at drinks or like right before punchy. everybody goes to the airport. Yeah. Everybody's just like a little bit punchy and the masks are off. And it's just like, you know what? <laughs> you know how to convince me? You're not going to, because I don't believe it. You know what I mean? Which actually brings me, I feel like this is turning into an episode where I just like shit on user manuals, which was not really the point of this, but I do also kind of hate that question. Mm -hmm. I like the how do I convince you question, again, in theory, like how I like the feedback question. But in practice, everybody says, show me data. Yes, you're so right. And you know what convinces almost no one ever? Data. Showing them data. Yeah, I mean, look at our political parties. Right? I mean, like, especially, it's not like... Like it's one thing when it's like, you know, your your financial advisor is showing you data on how a, like a stock performs. Yeah. Within a team, the idea that you are going to convince one another just based on data is ridiculous. It's bonkers. Like it's just never going to happen. And, and I think that it, again, it feels like an easy answer to give and like sort of a non-controversial mm-hmm. um, answer, but I don't generally think it's true. Like I generally think the way that you convince people on your team is 
through your reputation and your yeah. influence and yeah. sometimes because of identities you hold like or power you, you have or, <laughs> you know, or coercion or whatever, because they're, you know, they don't want to disappoint you. Like there's a lot of ways that people get convinced of things in teams and most of them have nothing to do with data. So I think for both of those questions, I would, I would put a little warning label on those to be like, you know, look a little harder if these are the answers you're getting. Mileage may vary. I, I do, I think there's a hack in there actually that's good for for a lot of these questions and others that may come up if you're not getting the disclosure that you're really looking for. One is just to invert the question. Mm. So if it's like, what are ways not to convince you? Like what doesn't convince you? That mm-hmm. might get you more variety and some interesting hits. Yeah. And then And then the other thing would be like, you can just like, eliminate an option on a, on something like this if you're doing it as a team activity you could just be like hey what's the best way to convince you of something and you can't say make a case or data yeah so now what are you going to say now what are you going to say <laughs> and see what else comes up and maybe it'll be you know the second or third thing that's like more true for them yeah you know like well spend more time with me at lunch or whatever like who knows what it is but but yeah i agree there's some that have like these phone in answers that just come up again and again and you almost want to be like going around the horn, just be like, you can't say the same thing twice because you're not getting anywhere. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Okay, so let's talk about our own user manuals to give people some examples to to mm-hmm. inspire them. So do you have one handy of your own or are you just going to off the cuff it? Well, my problem is that I have started and never finished a user manual several uh-huh. times. Okay, sweet. So, I, which is actually part of my user manual. It's like a, it's a Ouroboros of truth. Yeah, I think that um, might be one of the things that is on mine in terms of driving me nuts. Exactly. Fun. So How fun yeah, for us. It's all in there. But yeah, no, I have like, I've like had a crack and gotten halfway and then left it for a year and then had another crack. What's interesting is I've never been on a team that where everyone consented to doing this at the same time. Oh, really? Really. Weird. I feel like I do it in every team I'm in. Why haven't you and I done this? I don't know, but I'm just telling you, like, by virtue of luck and fate, I've never been in a team where, because I've suggested it before. I've had moments where I'm like, we should do this. And I get like a few side eyes that, you know, somebody's not into it and we just sort of let it go. So I haven't had the like monumental occasion of a big share out, which Mm. I would appreciate. But nonetheless, I've done enough drafting that I, I can hit you with answers to any of these questions. This is why we work together because, you know, my like, what color is your parachute test? Like has me being a cruise director. And so when I'm like, this is the activity we're doing, I don't even see side eyes. I'm just like, everybody click this link, start writing shit. I'm putting (laughs) on music. Also, I just remembered that I made us like a varsity user manual like a year ago that we never did anything with. But we should talk about that too. Okay. So off the cuff, what question do I want to ask you first? I'm going to ask about what people misunderstand about you because mm. I don't I don't actually know and I'm curious. Yeah. I mean, I think this has probably changed over the years too, but I think one one thing that has been true personally and professionally is that because I am fairly even-keeled and I generally and I'm almost I'm almost like a little bit inauthentically performative as a facilitator just generally. I kind of show up and try to be a, a, like a nice energetic player. Most of the time, I think some people misperceive me as like somewhat robotic or non-emotional or like I don't have bad days or I don't like freak out, which is not true. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like I have I have an inner life and I have feelings, but I don't. Yeah, I don't always disclose them well. And part of that is 
based on the roles that I've held and the professions that I've chosen where like a lot of my day for a long time was just like you show up and you dance. Mm-hmm. And so it's not, I mean, you can be, you can be real with your colleagues at a place like the ready, of course, but like in my early career, when I was doing workshops with leadership teams almost every day and they only get you that one day, it's not like you can show up and be like, I'm going to be depressed all day, Mm. (laughs) you know, or at least I didn't feel like I could, right? I just Mm -hmm. didn't feel like space that I could hold. So I think I, I took my already Irish pattern and like doubled down on it with my Mm. career choice. And as a result, I've like been accused of being a robot from time to time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so cool. that's one. There are probably others, but that's a good that's, one. That's a present one. All right. What about you? Do I get to do the same one, or do I get to call I think for you a should different? Ask whatever question you want. I can call for a different insight. Yeah, man. Okay, I want to do the one I like the least uh, in the way it's phrased with you <laughs> because I actually care about the meaning, which is how can people earn an extra gold star with you? Hmm. Like, how do people get ahead with you reputationally? Mm-hmm. Or maybe there are many ways. I don't know. There are so many ways. A few things come to mind. So the first thing is, have you ever taken the, like, love language quiz? Yes. Okay. What's yours? Touch. Interesting. Okay. Mine is acts of service. So is my wife. Uh-huh. So for me, what I've learned about that, I don't remember. It was like one of my friends who was like, we should take this. We did it one day, like, you know, sitting at the lake house. And and the thing is about people who have acts of service as their primary love language is that if someone like does something for them, it really earns a lot of brownie points. And yeah. if someone says they're going to do something for them and doesn't, the interpretation for acts of service people is you don't care about how I feel. Right. Because this is like the most important thing to me, to me is like yeah. is fulfilling promises. And so promises unfulfilled are like much deeper than what the promise was in and yeah. of itself. Yeah. So people who are like just impeccable with their word always gain a gold star with me because it can like then like my brain can yep. be calm. Yep. The other the thing that I wrote down, which I do still believe, is people can always earn an extra gold star with me when they're like doing their own work. Uh-huh. So, you know, I, I just like appreciate people who are aware of what their own edges are or their own, you know, like blind spots are and are, are actively pursuing self-actualization or betterment or balance or whatever they're pursuing. I always like, I always have more time for people who are like, I'm imperfect, but I'm working on it. than people who are like, I'm fully baked eat it. Yeah. Yeah. So I think those two are pretty big ones for me. Interesting. Yeah. And I would truly love to know what I was thinking about in 2020 when I wrote this because I have no recollection <laughs> at all. That's funny. Do you find that you try to perform the thing that you want? No. Like, right. Okay. I mean, the being on my own journey thing I think so. Like, I I don't, like, I can't imagine if I wasn't someone who always was doing my own work that I would be like, other people should be in therapy, but not <laughs> me. You know what I mean? Like, I think that that feels more like, I was joking with someone the other day that I was like, you know, my, my theme of 2023 is like, I'm not doing your work if you're not doing your work is like, because it's just come up in, right. a, in a bunch of different pockets lately. So I think, I think not so much in, in that case, but the acts of service thing, not at all. Like, right. I, I am obviously like I am someone who like fulfills my commitments pretty consistently, Sure. but I think I tend to show up more in the way that other people care about than 
mirroring that. So mm, like, mm-hmm, Ed's mm-hmm. not really an acts of service person. He he is for me, but like he that is not that is not yes, how he his need cares to be loved. So so yeah, not so much. Got it. Yeah, that tracks. One more. Yeah, set? I do. Okay, so. This is from the Varsity user manual that I wrote for us, and then we never did. So I'm going to pull a question out of it. And for people who are not familiar with conscious leadership, there is this concept of being above the line and below the line. And basically that maps to like being in reactivity or being in presence. And, you know, when we are below the line, we are reacting usually from the perspective of like a hero or a villain or what's the third one? A victim. So, um... What pulls you below the line, Aaron? Yeah, I, the, my favorite way to ID this is like below the line for me is committed to being right and above is committed to being curious, mm. which is that's how I clue into like where I'm at. Mm-hmm. And so usually when I want to be right is is like when someone is either trying to bring up a theoretical conversation with me and it feels like they haven't done their homework, but they're very convicted. Mm-hmm. Or they're like, or they're like bought into ideologies that I don't subscribe to. Mm-hmm. So like that can be hard for me because I'm like, I don't know how to meet you in the middle on this because I don't agree with your facts. Mm-hmm. So I can be pulled below the line politically or socially or spiritually or like you name it, right? It's like as soon as I don't understand where someone is coming from with their facts, I can accidentally trip and not be curious. Instead of looking for like the the higher level connection that might still be there, so I definitely I definitely struggle with that when someone is like arguing or trying to convince me, and I just don't understand where they're coming from. That can be a challenge. And then the other thing, which you know, and we've talked about on the show in previous episodes, et cetera, is like I want to be liked, I want to be admired, and so if a conversation is going in the direction of like I don't like you, it's you're not you're not working for me right now then that can also, if I'm not ready to hear that or I'm not in a good headspace or I didn't sleep right, like that can also quickly pull me down to where I'm just like, mm, I just don't like this feeling. And so mm-hmm. I'm going to I'm gonna dwell in like being defensive or like rationalizing or why you're wrong, basically, and how I am so great. So that I think those are ways that I get stuck down there. And historically, like the trick for me is now is just like going slow enough to notice that I'm down there. Mm-hmm. And then I can, and then I can move up. But usually, usually those are the triggers. I would say. Yeah. Yeah. It's good to know. Why don't I throw it back to you and have you do the other one that you were interested in? Mm. What Which am I worried like, about? Yeah. What are, What are you worried about? And and I'm not sure when you wrote that question how you were thinking of it situating in time and space either. So maybe you can show us how to answer it by answering it. Yeah. I mean, I think when I wrote this, we had not started our coaching yet. Sure. And it felt like there was just a lot between us that was like percolating under the surface. And we had not figured out how to really talk about any of it. Just like fears that weren't disclosed. Yeah, exactly. I think my desire in writing it was like, you know, this, it was not going to solve all of the problems, but like, could we at least start to get at some of what is really going on below Mm. the surface? Mm -hmm. And I think at the time, you know, one of the things that we were really swimming around in was like roles. And, and so, you know, because, because that was difficult for us, because it was difficult to figure out, you know, where, 
where our boundaries were and where we did want to overlap and where you were ready to step away from things and where I was not sure if you trusted me with certain things or if you were holding them out of habit. I think the what are you worried about question for me was really like, I I think I felt at the time like you were worried about things that you weren't telling me. <laughs> And, and I think that that did end up being true. So, so I think that's what was going on at the time in terms of what I'm worried about now I mean, you've caught me on an interesting day. There are, (laughs) there are a lot of things I'm worried about right now. I, I think the easiest one to talk about is I have this weird feeling that's like, there's all of this stuff it, at work that feels very nascent. Mm. And it feel you know, whether that's like where the book is or where the future of HR work is or where some partnerships are. And it, it's like what is happening in the world right now feels so unpredictable to me. Yeah. And it worries me to be growing things for an environment that like I can't fully understand. Yeah. And so even when I like look at the garden and I go like, these are good things. Like these are dope vegetables and flowers. I'm like, will the, will the environment be hospitable enough? And will we meet it at the right time so mm-hmm. that this stuff can survive? Yeah. So that, so that worries me. I would say that is something that feels it's funny because it's I have worry about it, but not anxiety, like mm-hmm, mm-hmm. because because mostly I can't really do much about it. But it's something right. that like comes up for me a lot. So that's one thing. But there, yeah. you know, there's a lot. It's a it's a fun one because and what I like about varsity questions generally, although this may not be true for all of your varsity questions, is that they're often like more replenishable. Mm. in the sense that like that's going to be true for you for a while and then if I asked you in 90 days I might get a slightly different answer and then another one and then another one and that's like cool that's like we're steering the understanding on top of the surface of what's changing as opposed to some of these things that are more like character traits that don't seem to move as much so I like that I like that one and I definitely appreciate your your worry about the acid rain in the midst of the garden (laughs) like yeah it can be yeah it can be unsettling yeah, it feels um, but, like a hard time to be making a lot of changes. Yeah, yeah. But we are. Well, yeah. And I think what's cool about knowing something like that about a, a partner is you're like, okay, if we're both feeling that, then what can we do to like just be more okay with the fact that we're going to have a hit rate that's yeah. whatever it is or yeah. like have more more understanding about like how we're going to steer because it is true that like it's not just because things are volatile doesn't mean you can stop innovating. Right, But, exactly. but by the same token, like the it probably means that yeah, but by the same token, you're probably playing a little bit of roulette and that's just the way it is. Right. So yeah, so that is, that's super cool. Okay, so zooming out from the two of us and even zooming out from user manuals as a concept, I know that you have been doing this with teams for a long time and that you have some secret tricks of the trade, some ways of doing this that maybe you can share with our listeners. So do you want to talk a little bit about what you have for them? Top secret things. Yeah. (laughs) If you all want them, I will give you a link to a user manual 
um, document that has a facilitation guide. So, a user manual manual? Uh, yeah, a manual to user <laughs> manuals, if you will. So it has a like a 60-minute flow for facilitating with a team. It has the questions about you that Aaron and I have talked about. It has questions about how others relate to you. It has debrief questions as options, a section on identifying some team patterns based on what we hear from everyone in the group, and then a section for like proposed team agreements to take away once you've noticed what those patterns are. So if you want it, email podcast at the ready and you shall have it. How many other podcasts did you listen to this week that gave you free toys? I mean, I don't know. (laughs) We'll keep them coming back with free shit. If you like what you're hearing and you like getting free toys, then give us a free something, a review uh, that would tell other people what you like or even don't like about this show so that they can find what they need and and come join the Brave New Work family with all of us. I'm adding something that I'm worried about, which is you telling people it's okay to leave us bad reviews. (laughs) They won't do it, Rodney. It's Uh just a, you know. Just an invitation to balance feedback. Yeah, just Mm open-minded. Nobody, there's no such thing as bad press. (laughs) On that note, a quick tip of the hat to Taylor for making us sound good. Brave New Work is produced by The Ready, as always, where we help organizations around the world change the way that they work. You can get in touch with us by emailing podcast at The Ready for the user manual, or just to say, what's up? And as for you, thanks for listening. Now go change something.